Call for Action presents Of Consuming Interest, a public service show that discusses scams, deceptive offers, and other consumer concerns. Here's the director of WJLA 7 Call for Action and your host, Shirley Rooker. The news is a fertile field for investment scammers. Natural disasters take a real toll in our country, but the damage can extend beyond the disaster because the crooks set up investment scams around the natural disasters. Can you believe that? But it's true. And new laws are fertile fields for scammers. For example, the new marijuana laws. We're seeing some scams developing that are related to them, investment scams. Well, to talk about them, my guest today is Owen Donnelly. He's the chief counsel with the Office of Investor Education and Advocacy with the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission. Owen, welcome to Of Consuming Interest. Nice to see you again. Thank you so much, Shirley. It's great to be back. Now, this is very interesting things. Uh, you all put out a press release recently on the uh, the way that natural disasters and new laws, such as the marijuana law, which we're going to get to in a little bit, um, are are used as the subject of investor fraud. My God, the crooks are so creative. They watch the news, don't they? They, they are very creative, and, and they do chase the news. And, and you're right, both those subjects have become fertile ground, fertile ground uh, for investor scams. Uh, the first you mentioned was uh, around natural disasters and with the recent hurricanes in the South and, and, and again, with the, with the fires that are ongoing now, we can certainly expect to see criminals and fraudsters uh, operating scams around those issues. So they they look at the headlines and let's let's just talk about first off these scams I take it they set up with some sense of plausibility people are going to believe it. So if someone if I'm let me be creative and you help me set up a scam all right <laughs> we're going we're not going to scam you people but we're going to pretend. So I see this and I decide that I'm going to set up what? Well, can I set up a Ponzi scheme? Do I set up an investment opportunity? Do I use the money that these people get for these disasters? What are some of the, the parameters of these scams? So there are a number of different types of scams, some of which fall under the jurisdiction of the Securities and Exchange Commission, which we focus on. Uh, and the ones that we that we see regularly, at least reported to us, uh, are a couple different types. The first is someone will purport to have a great investment oppor- opportunity related to the natural natural disaster. Uh, one of the things we've seen after Hurricane Katrina uh, and the Superstorm Sandys is that fraudsters will say, we've developed a new product or we offer a new service that's going to, cl- for example, clean up the area uh, with, with very little damage, or we've created a biohazard suit uh, that is special and good. And so you can invest in this company, and this company is going to make money because of the because of the natural disaster, there'll be a greater demand for a product. Uh, one of the one of the things that almost always happens with with these types of scams is they overpromise and, and what we call red flags of fraud. They will guarantee a return. They'll say there's no risk. There will usually be unlicensed people. There'll be very little documentation. But you you will see those scams, and I'd be shocked if we don't see them following uh, following the fires. Oh, it it just seems a too good a too good an opportunity for the scamsters to avoid. So so if I'm um, so I've been a part of a natural disaster, or I'm just someone looking to invest and maybe thinking that I'm going to help people by by helping to provide these services or helping to to finance them. And I have goodwill. I'm not. I'm not looking to think. I'm not going to be thinking that I'm going to be ripped off because it seems to me like they're trying to do good. 
But you got to remember that's what the scamsters do. That that that's exactly right, and and it and it is both to. I mean, one of the things that we that we the concern that concerns us in our office and what we try to educate folks is if someone has been a victim of a, a weather event, a hurricane, or or a fire, they may receive a lump sum insurance payment. And the criminals, I mean, that is, you know, when you ask the bank robber, why do they rob banks? That's where the money is. When the criminals realize that people in a certain area have received lump sum payments from insurance companies or maybe from the government, they target those people particularly. Uh, sometimes they'll say things like, you need to make that money last. Here's a great investment. And and it will be unrelated to the scam. Or, so I, you know, with today's technology, it is so easy to produce documents and things that look so legitimate or websites that have a sense of legitimacy to them that it's really hard for consumers. Now, as you, you've warned, anytime they guarantee a return, you know that that's going to be a scam. I mean, Ab- nobody can guarantee a return on anything. Absolutely. You can protect your principal. That's one way of doing something, but that's not guaranteeing that you're going to make money on something. That, that's exactly right. Anyone who guarantees a profit, especially a high rate of return, and says there's no risk uh, is is either intensely lying or they don't know what they're talking about. Well, how are they going to find me? Are they going to call me? Do they get record? Can they get information on from insurance companies on settlement of claims? I wouldn't think they could, but they could – Back into computer systems, right? That's a really good question. So one of the things we see in, in different contexts, but that probably applies here, is we see that criminals have lists of people who have who have either been scammed or, or reached some certain demographic. Um, what often happens is if someone has been scammed, they may be in a court case. Their name may be accessible uh, in, in some sort of record. And once once they've been scammed, the criminal will call, will target those people and say, hey, we can get you your money back. Um, this, this, oh yeah, and then oh, but for a small fee, and then they get and you get, and they they get access to accounts. Um, and in the natural disaster, it's a little, it's it's you know, if we knew exactly how uh, they get these names, we we could do a little bit more about it. And I think with technology, you're right. Uh, it's pro- so hard to know. And you look at you look at uh, people using uh, social media and privacy settings. Uh, you know what scams used to be? They try to gather emails or even addresses or fax machines. Now with social media, the criminal may, if people aren't careful with their privacy settings, and we've discussed in the past, not everyone's as good as privacy settings as they mm-hmm. need to be, but they give out to the whole world information about where you live, where your kids live, what school you went to. Pictures you of li- your house, pictures of your boat, pictures of all kinds of things that and, are yeah, related to your at, life. Right. Perhaps look at the terrible damage this storm did, and then the criminal knows how to, how to reach you. So the, they find you in a lot of ways, but the good thing is that if a consumer – um, a consumer is, is is doing doing background checks, making sure the person is licensed to sell an investment. And that's really important because licensors are really required to be legit, right? That's exactly right. So they right. check with you or isn't there an agency that they check with to see if these are in licensed uh, investment uh, brokers or whatever? Yes, there are. There are a number of ways to do it. The easiest way and the tool that my office runs is called investor.gov. Uh, you go to investor.gov and you can click a button that says search the database to do a background check. You can type the person's name in and find out if they are a licensed broker or advisor. Uh, additionally, if someone is offering an investment, that investment is required to be registered with the SEC or state unless there's an exemption. And you can go to investor.gov and ha- it'll show you the tools to look up to make sure the investment opportunity is licensed or exempt. So, so in other words, uh, legitimate people – Go to you. They get a license. They and and I assume there's some requirements that they have to prove to you all 
what they do? That's exactly right. So if someone is selling an investment as a, as an advisor or a broker may, they have, they have there's different licensing regimes. It, most of it works by state. There's also FINRA. Uh, which is the Financial Industry Regulatory Authority, who has standards to who's allowed to buy and sell stocks and bonds and, and investments in companies. Um, there are exemptions to that, but by and large, a huge red flag of fraud is if someone says, I want to sell you stock in this company, and they're not licensed, um, that, that, should, that should make everyone cautious. Yes. I mean, I suppose it's possible to, to be legitimate. We don't want to demonize everybody. But that's a red flag. That's right. And small, that's a very red and there are, flag. And there are certainly small businesses seeking to raise money that operate right. outside the federal securities laws. And that's you're exactly right. Um, but even in that context, if someone's guaranteeing you a rate of return, telling you there's no risk, uh, you can't get much documentation, Run. they're not registered Run. in the Secretary of State, there's, there's lots of ways. The best advice, and I've heard you give it before, is just ask a lot of questions. And if you don't get the answers that make sense, don't invest. Yeah. Let's just take a brief pause here to let our listeners know that they're tuned in to Of Consuming Interest. I'm Shirley Rooker. My guest is Owen Donnelly. He's the chief counsel with the Office of Investor Education and Advocacy with the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission. And we're talking about the way the scammers set up frauds involving natural disasters and the news headlines. For example, we're going to talk in a little bit about some of the scams involving the new marijuana laws. So it's really interesting how this is fertile ground for the crooks. Why don't they put their their minds to good use? But that's asking something else. Okay. The principle here, ask a lot of questions. All right. Now, um, this could be a new company. So, but they still have to be registered. They still have to have a license to do business in their local jurisdiction, right? That's exactly right. So it's quite legitimate to ask for all of those documentations before you put up any money. And, you know, I think sometimes the the the, the desire to do well, uh, to do good, to help people, and most of us, if we've done well, we feel like we need to give back. And we just have to make sure that what we're giving is is really going to where we think it is. So red flags. We've yep. talked about the red flags. How how do some of them work? So they may reach out to the consumer via email. It's hard to tell, really, how they're going to do it. But generally, I would suspect that there's a lot of emails that go on or maybe, as you've indicated through social media, if people aren't careful about their privacy settings and they can reach information, they can get information. And good old-fashioned, I mean, we also see cases, uh, good old-fashioned phones, uh, someone calls uns- unsolicited that you've never met, tries to sell you an investment. That is that is an exceptionally suspicious circumstance, oh, yes. oh, especially yeah. following a natural disaster. Um, and, and then, of course, what we refer to as affinity frauds, which target particular groups, often by a member of that group. We'll see that happen in churches and synagogues. We'll see that um, – we'll see frauds t- – we saw fraud targeting the deaf community uh, a couple of years ago. We'll see – uh, a fraud. We saw fraud targeted uh, the Chinese American community uh, in the West Coast. So there are lots of ways that criminals will try to find you, but usually these scams uh, will have red flags. And I just, it's just, uh, it is absolutely true. The criminals are very clever. Uh, it's amazing. Some of these scams are so clever. You'd think if these folks would put their mind to use for the power of good, they'd they'd really do amazing things. But uh, people should understand that the criminals are very clever. But if you ask these questions, is the person licensed to sell an investment? Uh, Is the company licensed under the state? And those are questions that anyone selling 
uh, anyone selling an investment opportunity needs to be able to answer, answer clearly, and document. And you've got investor.gov. Investor.gov. And if you go there. That's the way you can check out. Anything. Anybody. And anything in terms of investments. You can even email us at help at sec.gov and we will reply to you. Uh, it, we may not be – now, I should be clear. The SEC doesn't have what we call subject matter jurisdiction over all scams, but any of the one that involves investment, uh, we will we will listen to you. Uh, there are state securities regulators that are fantastic. Uh, some of the states, unlike the federal government, the SEC in this space, have criminal authority. So the state regulators, uh, you know, right now looking at state regulators in the south and I'm sure soon following the fires, they will be all over these issues. So you can contact us. Uh, or, or the state, or you can come to investor.gov and we'll tell you how to get to your state. But there, yeah. are, there are a lot of resources out there for consumers and investors who are worried. So just use it. Yes. But, <laughs> but mainly, before you write that check, you check them out. Please. I mean, that is the mm-hmm. uh, that's the basic advice for anybody who's going to invest in anything. And, and But it's so hard to do. It really is. You need to really be educated sometimes to protect yourself against these scammers who are smart. Sometimes they're smarter than we are. I don't like to say that. Okay, let's move on to talk about the new laws and how new things that are in the news, such as the marijuana. Oh, the one thing we did not talk about relative to that, and it's going to apply to, to any scam, is the whole concept of pump and dump. Explain that because – that's really a very clever way of people of selling stuff, this selling is, scams. This is clever. And when we talk about, for example, uh, scams related to new marijuana laws, this is uh, this is some of the cases we see like this. Uh, the way a pump and dump scam works is usually there is a small publicly traded company. Maybe you've heard the term penny stock. Uh, the scammers, the bad guys, will own this stock. Then they will, using a variety of very clever ways, it might be a press release, it may be through social media, uh, they maybe in, in, in person even they will tout the stock that they will say this company is going to go through the roof it's the best things in sliced bread you got to get in now uh, it's double returns then they do that to ten or fifteen people the price goes up I mean there's a really interesting scam that this used to happen via fax machines and uh, if we it, it's it's a sort of it's one of my favorite but it's a terrible scam and it is that this the fraudsters would get the fax numbers of usually doctors or sometimes doctors, and this is in the late 80s, and they'd send two faxes. The first fax would say, Dear Dr. Smith, here's the hot stock tip I promised you. This stock's going to double. Now we're even, your friend Jim. And they'd wait 10 minutes then send a second fax and say, Please disregard, I sent this to the wrong fax number. Oh, good Lord. They'd send 300 of those and wait for 10 or 15 of these folks to buy five or $10,000 worth of stock Minus some market making fees, they owned all the stock. They'd walk away with fifty, sixty thousand dollars, and that's a day's work. Oh my gosh! Those those kind of scams, as terrifying as they were, they were limited in scope because folks were using fax machines. Those pumping ups now exist using social media, exist using email uh, and chat rooms. So whenever you are usually on the internet now, it's, uh, but if you see someone talking up a stock, this is the next best thing. Uh, that's something to be pretty careful oh, about. Oh, be very careful because that may be exactly the same principles as pumping up applied on the Internet. Oh, very, very likely. And and also I suspect that people can pose as friends or get people to friend them on Facebook and approach people that way. And then you get a whole network of people and you start pumping as stuff, you doing Twitter, you know, tweeting it out. There's all kinds of ways that people can be reached now, which really does make it a little bit more um, universal. Than it used to be. 
It's, uh, it's just easier to get to people. I mean, I, I'm an avid user uh, of social media and digital communication. We use it to educate investors. Uh, and, and, you know, it is there's a ton of great things about the interconnectivity uh, of this technology. But but there is some downsides, and the downsides right. are there are there are fraudsters and criminals who use that technology to t- try to solicit victims. People just have to be aware and ask the questions that you tell them to ask, that you, you've been telling them to ask for years. It's the same questions, uh, but people just they really need to know that technology does come with some of these downsides. You know, it's it's amazing how we can establish relationships with people we don't even know via doing Twitter and that sort of thing. Anyway, let's just take a brief pause here and let our listeners know they're tuned into Of Consuming Interest. I'm Shirley Rooker. My guest is Owen Donnelly. He's the chief counsel with the Office of Investor Education and Advocacy for the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission. And they've recently done a study um, on how natural disasters and, well, the things that make the headlines, how the crooks capitalize on that news because it's in many of our minds and we know that these things are going on and that makes it a little bit easier to do a selling job to the crooks. So at any rate um, – we talked about natural disasters, and now we're talking about how the same principles are applied to the marijuana laws. And and now, does this vary? Of course, this is going to vary state by state because not all states have legalized marijuana. But the states where you are, for example, in our jurisdiction here, uh, I think it's legal in Maryland, maybe Maryland. I don't know, D.C., I know. Um, at any rate, what are you seeing? Are you seeing some particular things coming out of the district? Well, I can't talk to particular matters in the district, though I will say in any jurisdiction okay. where marijuana All laws over. are changing, you're going to see scams like this. And they really come in two main buckets. Uh, one is the market manipulation um, pump and dumps that we just discussed. There are a number of companies that are publicly traded that purport to be investing in marijuana, and those get, and some of those get pumped up. Now, I, I need to be very clear. Um, first of all, this is not a universal condemnation of any of type of stock, of and not. this is this is my views and not necessarily those of the commission. Uh, but if you look through, if you look through commission actions recently. The SEC has, has suspended trading in some of these companies for a lack of information. Uh, the SEC has sued some of these companies for putting up false information. And these may be companies that are actually listed in the stock exchange. That's these may be companies that supposedly have their license to do business. They have all of those things that we've been telling consumers to look for. And yet at the same time, they're doing some things that just kind of skirting the law most or of, breaking Most it. of them are, are, are penny stocks or much smaller companies who are less transparent. Um, but they're make, some of the claims they're making are obviously true. But one, one of the things we always tell investors to do if they're really interested in this space uh, is, again, do your research. If you want to buy a particular stock in the space, uh, make sure make sure you consider whether or not their stock has been suspended. Make sure you look at their business history, how long they've been around. And again, it's the same if, if they purport, if they, they claim they're going to double, triple your profit, et cetera, et cetera, be very skeptical. Yeah. So uh, now that information at investor.gov you can find all of this. And let's just go back and recap a little bit about that because I think that is such a valuable website. And I hope that it's utilized fully by consumers who are looking to invest because you can find out about your brokers. You can find out if they're registered. You can find out – actually, you have a section on complaints against them, don't you? Well, one is that we were, able, we, were, we were able to take complaints there. We do put out complaint data, uh, though not, not directly on Investor.gov, but you can find a wealth of tools. I mean, I mean, putting aside the fraud issues, we have – 
a compound interest calculator. We have a mutual Ooh, fund. Oh, yeah, that, that could be very useful. It's, it's, it's really – it's a fantastic, uh, valuable resource. We actually – to brag a little bit, we were uh, we were awarded one of the top websites in government uh, to be – that's actually usable, which I think is – Which is I, actually usable. Which I, I love I thought, that. Which I thought was a great compliment. But right, there's a lot of tools. But one of the things in this space you can do, you can check out to make sure the, the seller of an investment – Who's someone who's pretending to be able to sell you an, an advisor or broker, you can see if they're there. And I should say, you know, the first step is to make sure they're really licensed, but there's more information available in these in these databases that you can access through investor.gov. You can find out if there have been complaints against the person. Mm-hmm. You can find out uh, a little bit about their background, if they have a criminal history. There's, there's a lot of information you may be able to learn. Again, it's just ask the questions. Yeah, and, and do your research. I think that that is so important. But, you know, the... It is interesting how the crooks develop scams around these things that are in the news. So if someone approaches you, if you get a call and someone says, well, now let me tell you, I'm from your local church or your synagogue or whatever, that affinity fraud. And they're going to say members of your church have been investing in this because they see it as a humanitarian thing to do. Don't believe it. I was personally approached at my church here in Washington by someone uh, who had an investment idea they wanted to tell me about, knowing where I worked, knowing that I was in the Office oh, of Investor goodness. Education at the SEC. Now, this this is one thing we do see, and, and it's sad, but it's very important for people to realize that some of these folks involved in affinity fraud are what we call true believers. This person did not realize that what they were – peddling, for lack of a better word, was almost undoubtedly a fraud. But it was couched in terms of this is a company that's going to do really good work, and I, I'm, I'm a Christian and, 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 and the Christian in the, in the Christian community. Uh, I immediately saw red flags and actually sent a complaint to our Division of Enforcement about it. But um, it, it is, it is, that, is, that is absolutely, especially in times of crisis and in need, um, you talked about our earlier topic on the fires uh, and and around hurricanes. You will absolutely uh, see that type of fraud, unfortunately. Yeah, and it really does. We've heard so much from consumers who've been victims of this. It could be from your country club. It could be whatever your social outlets are. They can come from your book club or whatever, even your investment group. <laughs> um, so there's there's all kinds of ways that people are approached. And it really is. And I think that there's an element of trust when somebody that we know or a member of a group that we belong to, that they we have an element of trust there. So that sh- But that trust should not suspend our questions. It's absolutely true. I mean, every year you'll see a number of cases and, and many more at the state level of prominent, you know, you, I mentioned religious leaders, community oh, yeah. leaders who are, who are involved in scams. But if you look at the, the, if you look at the quote unquote investment being sold, they almost always have these red flags, you know, a guaranteed return. Mm-hmm. Someone wasn't licensed, mm-hmm. um, no risk, uh, the, these sort of the, the, the hallmarks of day-to-day fraud. One of the things that, that we warn consumers too is to make sure some some of these scamsters will come up with names that are very similar to well-known companies and try to convince you that you're investing in international business mechanics or something and they use the term IBM. I'm sorry, IBM. Maybe you all are good, good people. Um, but I mean I'm just – that just comes to mind. They will use names that look like and sound like legitimate companies. That that that's absolutely true. I, I see I, – I focus a lot on uh, the way social media and digital communication are used to – solicit and to educate investors. And one of the things you'll see on pump and dump scams is often handles that sound a lot like a reputable analyst, but with a word off, a letter off. One of the ways, if, if your audience is interested in this space, you can usually tell a legitimate player between a fake is a legitimate player has a verified badge. 
Um, it's a blue verified badge. Again, this is the type of information you can find on our website and have to talk about, but that it's a great point that the fraudsters are very clever and they will chase the news, mm-hmm. they will chase new laws, and they will pretend to be folks they're not. And they'll chase you to get your money. So just keep that in mind. You want to outrun them and outsmart them. So, and that can be a challenge. Oh, and thank you for providing us with such good information. And again, the website is investor.gov. You should really put that in your bookmarks and go there often. They have some great advice, and I love your press releases. They come out. they got great news for, for consumers. So thank you, Owen. You've been listening to A Consuming Interest right here on Federal News Radio 1500 AM. My guest has been Owen Donnelly, who is the chief counsel of the Office of Investor Education and Advocacy with the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission. I'm Shirley Rooker. Thank you for joining us. Of Consuming Interest is a public service program presented by WJLA 7 Call for Action, hosted by Shirley Rooker. Call for Action is an international nonprofit network of hotlines which offer free and confidential assistance. If you have a complaint, contact Call for Action at 301-652-HELP. That's 301-652-HELP.